So it's the fourth uh, Sunday of the Easter season, and we're going to move from some of those resurrection appearances to the first Christian sermon, um, given the day of Pentecost, what we call the birthday of the church. Um, I'm going to kind of start in the middle of the passage, um, in the middle of the way through this first Christian sermon. If you go to Acts 2, and no, today is not Pentecost Sunday, if you're getting a little confused. If you go to Acts 2, it begins with the description of the Holy Spirit, the wind, the tongues of fire, the languages, and then Peter speaks. And we move from Peter's sermon to this description of the early church. So I'm going to be reading from Acts 2, 22 through, it says 43, but we're going through 47. And as we prepare to hear God's word this day... Let us pray. Eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. So Acts 2, um, like I said, beginning in about the middle way through Peter's sermon, going from 22 through 47. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man, handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Fellow Israelites, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. For seeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that all of, all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Then we move on to this picture of the early church. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I'm one of those people who grew up in the church, the United Methodist Church, to be exact. I attended Hawkins UMC in Vicksburg. Um, I don't have this part of my life, this story of my life that doesn't include going to church. I mean, I'll be honest, in college and in seminary, um, in graduate school, um, I was not an every Sunday attender, but I was part of the campus ministry in college. And then, of course, graduate school for me was seminary, so just theology all day and night. And then to be fair, by age 25, going to church, being present in church on Sundays was, well, my job. (laughs) So I know my life experience may be a little different than others. But I don't have this experience of not knowing what church looks like or coming into a worship space for the first time. I don't remember not knowing God. I do remember when I was little, early elementary age, and somehow my family got on this subject Um, of being members at church. Maybe my older sister was going through confirmation. I don't really remember. But I proudly said I was a member. And my parents looked at me and were like, well, not really. Not yet. To which I responded, but I checked that box on the pad every Sunday. (laughs) They were, of course, trying to get at something deeper. A point in my life um, when I would get to choose choose to enter the story, to become a member, to make that congregation my family. I share this experience to say, I know this is not everyone's experience. Um, I have friends, some who grew up in church like me, some who did not, and this is not their experience. They do not attend church for a variety of reasons. And in those moments when we engage around this, which is not often, it helps me because I'm forced to think about, why do I choose this? Why do I continue to choose this? Why do I bring my kids? I have to think about the meaning it holds for me. I'll get back to that a little bit later. But I think about this with this account in Acts, Peter's first sermon, telling a story and then inviting others into it. And then this picture we get of the early Christian church. Peter shares the story of Jesus. He says, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, 
as you yourselves know. This man, handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. Peter tells the story of Jesus, the story of one who walked among us in a different way, the story of one who did deeds of power, wonders, signs, the story of one who defeated death itself, the story of redemption and resurrection. Peter tells this story and then invites, repent, be baptized, receive. The story is for you, Peter says, for your children, for all. Repent, believe that in Jesus we are given a better way, so turn away from the ways of the world that lead to death and turn toward Jesus who shows us a way that offers life. Be baptized, allow the waters of grace to wash over you as you are claimed as a beloved child of God, enter this family and receive. Receive the Holy Spirit, God's empowering presence, aiding you to walk in the way of Jesus. Repent, be baptized, receive. And it says those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And you know, if it had just stopped there, maybe we would be happier. But it doesn't. We're given a pretty detailed picture of how this early group of believers chooses to share life in the way of Jesus. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. They spent time daily in prayer in the temple together. They broke bread at home, ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. This picture of common worship and common life it's the picture we are given, and this is a picture of choosing to share life. And it seems to have a positive impression on those who stand outside, having the goodwill of all the people. Their way of sharing life, the way they chose to share life, seemed to tell others, to show others their why, the meaning that church had for them. I was at a meeting this past week, and the speaker was, was sharing just some kind of church history trend information. And he said, you know, throughout the history of the church, there has been a trend that when tragedy occurs on a grand scale, um, tragedy affecting a large portion of the population, the church grows. They kind of joked and said, we did great during the plagues. 
because people looked at the church, at this community of persons called Christians, this group of individuals who had chosen to share life, and they saw something different in them, in the way they acted, in the way they walked through tragedy and loss and fear and sickness, the hope with which they walked through things, the way they faced life in all of its messiness together with hope. This way called people together and intrigued others to come to gain strength and hope themselves. And then the speaker added, yes, it's a trend in history that in times of struggle and tragedy, the church grows, except during recent history, especially during this last one, during COVID, during a worldwide pandemic, which I know looked very different from other ones. But he said he couldn't help but wonder, is this because we didn't look like this unified body facing the trauma of a worldwide pandemic and hope? Nope, we fought, and we fought, and we fought. He's heard heard some people say that having the goodwill of all the people is not a trait that too many would associate with Christian communities. We have this picture in Acts 2 giving us the story of the first individuals choosing the way of Jesus, choosing to enter into community. It gives us a picture of how they choose to share life together. And it doesn't look like putting more dates or meetings on our calendars or making us bigger because of programs. It genuinely is this way of sharing life, the most basic parts of life. And I know, every time we get to this passage, we name it somehow as idealistic. Um, Much like how the Bible begins in the Garden of Eden and we only get to chapter 3 before the problems arise. Um, It's true in Acts. Um, It is a little idealized because we don't get far into Acts before problems and division arise. Peter preaches. Immediately, he's arrested by temple authorities, so automatically there's this relationship of conflict. Tensions arise within the community itself. The sharing of possessions leads to a terrifying story of Ananias and Sapphira Sapphira, who uh, fail to share their wealth, and they lie about it. Um, And let's just say they're held accountable in a pretty extreme way. If you don't know the story, you can go look it up. Their disputes about the distribution of food among widows of different ethnic groups. And of course, the growing conflict in Acts of whether Gentile converts have to observe the whole Mosaic law. It's very true to say that the harmony and consensus that Luke ascribes to the church's first days, they're not sustained, and they're never really regained. So why do we name it? Why do we name it, especially if we're just going to dismiss it as this picture of a utopian Christian community, an ideal beyond our grasp but that, that we don't ever get back to? Well, for me, we name it because it's my reason for choosing church, for continuing to choose church for bringing my kids. This is the meaning it holds for me. Sharing life in the way of Jesus. 
And we come back to um, that it's a choice. We have to choose to walk through life together in the way of Jesus. But you know, if we really break that passage down, we look at it maybe little pieces at a time. Maybe it's not so unreachable. I mean, breaking bread, eating food with glad and generous hearts, this is an activity I can get behind. Except maybe baking bread, I did that once and it did not go well. Praising God, that seems like it's not really out of the realm of possibility, right? So why do we so quickly dismiss these demands or say they are out of reach? That we can't live into this vision of church found in the early pages of Acts. Is it just that we're satisfied with living into the lowest common denominator? Do we expect to fail so we just set the bar low? Are we just justifying our inability to achieve such high standards of Christian community by saying we can't do this? It isn't even possible now. Why are we willing to settle Maybe that's part of the point, that if we are left on our own, left to our own devices, sitting in our own fear of what could happen, it is impossible. As one theologian says, we need the community so as not to forget who we are, who we truly are. When we choose community, when we repent for a better way, when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, when we hold that we are Easter people defined by a story of redemption and resurrection, we at the very least are called to lean into community, a choice to walk through life together, to share life. At our best, why I believe in the church is because church is about choosing one another because God and Jesus chose us. I think that's one reason it is so sad um, that the church is not more diverse in its settings on Sunday morning or even just um, in its membership roles across the week. Maybe if we gathered as church with more people who don't look like us, we could begin to see that um, our zip code, our country of origin, our race, who and how we love, the things we choose to wear or buy, that those things shouldn't be what divide us. Because what we say is, we choose one another because God and Jesus chose us. If we could remember that, we could easily share life together. See someone in their humanity and enter into that. Because the truth is, you don't have to be here. You don't have to become a member to be here. But when we do make a profession of faith, when we choose to join a church family, we are making a choice 
not to all think alike, not to all say we view the world the same, not to say we will never have different life experiences or that we will never disagree, but to look one another in the eye and to say, I choose you because God and Jesus chose me. I choose to share life with you. I choose to love you and you choose to love me, to see my face to know my name, to walk through life together, to give, to receive, to speak, to listen. Those are part of our wedding vows, Sean Flowers. He not even listen. <laughs> to share life. Um, we are an Easter people, and our Easter truth our Easter proclamation, well, it makes a distinct claim on us as church, on our communal identity, in such a way that others should look at us and see something different about the way we choose to walk through life together, about the way we choose to share life. I'll remind you of the words we began with. Sisters and brothers, let us gather together with glad and generous hearts. Let us break bread together and share our lives in common. Let us give what we can to all who have need so that all people, no matter who they are, may regard us with goodwill. Let us devote ourselves to prayers and to the gospel. For in this way, God will add to our numbers every day. May it be so. Amen.